of the scenes and parts of the dialogue are hilarious, yet a note of pathos runs throughout the story. When Lampasas and the preacher, a couple of doughty old survivors, turn back for Texas, they are still dreaming. Some years hence, I shall return to this book in the full expectation that it will reward me again. A.B. Guthrie, Jr. And now, North to Yesterday. Chapter 1 Lampasas reined up his rat-tailed, jug-headed, cow-hocked pinto horse on the little rise beside the lone, gnarled mesquite which had not yet admitted the end of winter. He brushed back the upturned brim of his full-crowned, still vaguely white hat, and grabbing the ends of the blue bandana tied about his neck, wiped the sweat from his forehead. Lampasas was a little man, wrinkled, dried up, and soured, and even on his horse he looked old and frail. But Lampasas didn't feel old and frail. He felt like a young man full of destiny. He was swollen with dreams, big with fulfillment. The horse lifted him above the earth, carried him swiftly and powerfully to his goal. Lampasas stood up in the stirrups to stretch his legs and looked back. Behind him, across the valley, green with the first spring rains, the preacher led out with the wagon, and behind the wagon were June and Pretty Shadow on the point, and behind them was a string of cows, their long horns tossing in the sunlight as far as the eye could see. Behind the last cow and the men in the drag, beyond the cloud of dust that followed the herd, was a gray country store smelling of hams and pickles, new leather and sour beer, dusty shelves packed with airtights of peaches, apricots, and plums. Out back, through the bedroom and kitchen behind the store, and the weedy yard where larkspurs once had bloomed, beneath a live oak tree on land which now belonged to a stranger was a single grave. For Lampasas, this moment had been a long time coming. Hitching his leg up over the saddle, he sat back to savor it. Lampasas had fought with the Confederacy in the West, and had come back from the war without having really been away. Having lost the war without ever losing a battle, he came back like the others, with nothing, to nothing, wanting nothing. Everything had been finished or put aside and forgotten, so that now there was nothing to do, so that until something got started, he would drift crossing and recrossing through country he was already familiar with, working a little and waiting. Lampasas got a job chasing wild cattle out of the brush where they were hiding, and rounding them up for a big drive up north, where they were worth more than a dollar and six bits for the hide. When a sizable herd had been rounded up, the men were separated into two crews, one crew to drive the herd to Baxter Springs, and one crew to have another herd rounded up, cut, and branded by the time the first crew got back. Lampasas was left behind hunting cows. He didn't mind. He didn't have anywhere to go anyway. He was waiting. When the drovers returned, they told tales not of Baxter Springs, but of another town, Abilene. They told of getting up with the meadowlarks and going to bed with a whippoorwill, of going to sleep to the wail of the coyote and the song of the night herders, 
They talked of the loneliness, stampedes, river crossings, and dry drives of the trail, and of the fancy dealing, cheap whiskey, and cheaper women at the end of the trail. Lampasas decided to go see for himself, but by the following spring he was too valuable a brush popper to go up the trail. For the next three years the outfit turned to rounding up the cattle and letting others drive them to the railhead. But Lampasas was determined to go up the trail himself. The next drive, the big one, the one he would remember all his life, to Wichita this time. He was to have been Segundo, assistant to the trail boss. But that was the year he went to the Christmas ball at the general store and met the storekeeper's plain-faced daughter, Marfa. People had come to the Christmas ball from fifty miles around, about four men to every girl.